that's really the value of this, right? Laying out this full system, having everyone in the room is where you find those underlying kind of like unknown people system processes that actually are, are not really that valuable and are actually really painful. If you're a tech leader looking to learn today's best practices for leading high-functioning teams, you're in the right spot. In each episode, we learn from today's top tech leaders as they share their successes, their failures, and their lessons learned along the way. I'm Debbie Madden, and this is the Scaling Tech Podcast, your blueprint for scaling tech teams. Let's dive in. Hey, everyone. Today, we are talking about one of my favorite topics, visualizing systems to improve product development, talking about things like process mapping, value stream mapping, and more. And I'm so lucky and so excited to talk to Rob O'Brien. Hey, Rob, how you doing? Hey, I'm doing good. Debbie, how are you? Good. Uh, So Rob and I um, are fortunate to work together. Um, So not only does Rob have 10 years plus of product management, both in-house and as a consultant, He's also currently a partner at Stride Consulting. Prior, spent a lot of time at McKinsey and um, also NBC Universal, where he was actually a client of Stride's. And so today, uh, we're really kind of digging into um, what are the mistakes that technology leaders make when it comes to things like value stream mapping, process stream mapping, and what do we get right? And so before we even get to that, just take a minute and explain to us, what do you mean by by systems and visualizing systems? Like, why is this whole topic so important? Yeah, it's a great question because systems is generally thought of in a very technical sense, like the Oracle system, the, this system. I'm actually right. talking about systems in the much broader sense. The people, the processes, the tools, the culture that are involved to get something done. So everyone can understand that you are you might have a product that's great, but there's a system in, underneath that project, uh, product. There's people involved, there's steps involved, there's handoffs, there's trade-offs. And there's technology. And when you use these tools, we're really talking about this broad system, sometimes called like a socio-technical system, people, technology processes. Okay. Okay. Got it. Got it. Okay. So inside this larger system, um, we use visualization tools to help us kind of literally see how work gets done, right? It's, it's It kind of harkens exactly. back to like how you make a widget, right? In In the in the, you know, Toyota, you know, lean manufacturing days. And, and we've kind of adopted and modernized those things for, you know, kind of um, software systems and not kind of physical in-person systems. But, you know, you know, value stream maps, process mapping, event storming, these things are even things like OKRs and, and milestones. These are all tools and, yeah. and people, you know, uh, technology leaders use them all the time. And and sometimes with with less efficiency than we think, right? And so, like, what, like, where do we get it wrong? So, where do we make some of our biggest mistakes? Because the 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 intention is 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 um is good, and yeah. sometimes the devil's in the details here. So, yeah, where do we get it wrong? Yeah, it's a great point they're calling out. It's these are all tools where the output is actually and the like is not the main benefit. So like they always say, like it's not the destination, it's the journey. That's really true true for a lot of these tools. And one of the biggest mistakes people make is how they actually go about building these visualizations. And mm-hmm. specifically, I find the biggest mistake they make is not having, if you circle back to the systems definition I was using before, all of the people involved in this system. So for example. Okay. Is there financial 
finance people involved in your system? Is there a financial approval step? Is there a marketing person involved in this? Some mm-hmm. people will say, well, yeah, but like they're not going to be building the product. They're just going to be involved in this manual step. And I, and I say, hold on, we need them in the room so we can visualize and understand this full process because that's where you find a lot of opportunities for efficiency or uncovering new understandings when you have this broader view of the system that includes the people and the processes and, and the tools. No, okay. You're saying you're saying you're saying in the room, and that's I, yeah. I've seen that happen where you don't want to bother someone, or especially mm-hmm. now that we're working, you know, more remote than ever before, you might not think to to involve that person. But I don't think you're saying that the entire company needs to be involved in this all the time. So what do you what do you mean by uh, in in the room? Like, how do we know if we've yeah. involved them enough? It's it's a great point because a lot of times when I've done this, and I'd love to talk about a success story that I've had doing this. Um, this can be a full day or multi-day kind of workshop. Okay. And when you do this, it's like you have this sign of like cultural overhead of, I don't want to bug and ask the finance person to sit in a room for two days when I really need them for maybe 15, 20 minutes. So right. there's a balance there. Um, but the trade-off is really important. You have to, you, so you you can you can put this in context of your organization to say, we're going to do a full kind of visualization, maybe with something like value stream mapping um, for this system, but we know we need finance. Let's say, let's proactively say, finance, can you come in between 1 and 2 p.m.? And we will just talk about your part of the system at that point. And, and actually, uh, we did this for, for a workshop I did in my previous, previous, um, previous life for a client. We were mapping out a system. The product was actually to provision a server. So what this team did was they provisioned servers, VMs at the time, for the whole organization. This was a software organization. Mm -hmm. And we wanted to fix that. You don't think of provisioning servers and finance. But when you think about it, we would have 30 or 40 people involved in this process, but not at all times, to your point. We asked finance, can you come in between 1 and 2 p.m. on the second day of the workshop so we can get your input? So this was, I'll I'll paint some, some broad context. When we mapped out this system overall from when someone requested a server to when it was actually delivered to the development teams to use, it was mm-hmm. actually about a four to six month cycle time, which means the overall time elapsed, which is much broader than they thought. But it's when you visualize it and you ask and you yeah. lay out all the steps. Yeah that's, yeah, that's benefit number one. If you actually yeah. get all the people in the room, you actually know the full time because if you're missing yeah. whole chunks of time, especially if yeah. there's idle time in between, you might be missing. Oh, why does this take six months? We we we, exactly. we drew it all out. We thought it took two months. What are we missing? Well, and it comes down to that in this case, the finance team. So, okay, that makes sense. They they will say something like, oh, you know, this process only takes, you know, it takes me about two weeks of work. And it's like, yeah, but there's so many other things that happen that you don't experience. When we had the finance people in the room, which, you know, we were like, finance was kind of like, why am I here? I don't provision servers. Right, right. What we we actually laid out, and we did this with a mix of conversations with that finance person and like looking at the actual flow, finance actually approved it because the system took, it was four to six months. I had to take three different times where they had to approve the cost to provision the server. Okay. I don't think finance was fully aware of that. I don't think the team that did that was fully aware of it. And when we right. mapped out and looked at some historical context, this accounted for about four to six weeks of overall time. So of a four to six wow. month cycle, okay. four to six weeks of those was just finance, approving, reviewing, waiting, getting back and forth with emails. We talked to them and they said, we don't need to do this three times. That first approval is actually all you need if you get it under this threshold. And we said, wait, did we just remove five weeks of overall time because we had finance in the room for an hour and they right. said oh right. yeah this is probably just historical over the last 15 years someone added a check here someone added a check here 
we don't need that anymore. All the developers like threw their hands up in the air and were like, so we just saved five weeks for one conversation. And that's really the value of this, right? Laying out this full system, having everyone in the room is where you find those underlying kind of like unknown people system processes that actually are are not really that valuable and are actually really painful. Yeah, and I think the interesting, one of the most interesting things that I just heard from that story is um, the risk of not asking the the really those low level, okay, not not tell me are you involved in this system, but okay, actually walk me through, um, tell me what you do. Tell me with this exact project, how many times have you literally received an email from this or talked to someone about this or been asked to approve something? Because even if you had finance in the room, if you didn't really yeah. dig into those low level questions, you, you might still have, have falsely assumed that they only touched this once. Right. Exactly. And so it's, it's also about really asking the right questions once you get those people in the room and, and uncovering like those, those hidden, because, because I've seen, I've seen it as well, where you're working with teams with multiple disciplines. And if you're not directly talking, let's say I'm not directly talking to finance in my head, I understand they're involved, but I probably have no idea how many times or how many loops. And, and I further probably falsely assume that they're, they want it that way. Right. And so you get them in the room like, wait, no, we thought you wanted this. No, we thought you wanted this. <laughs> wait a second. Turns out it's waste, right? It's not valuable to anyone to have this come through this department three times. So, all right. So let's say, let's say you uncover this and not all projects are going to cover such a big, big yeah. savings, but um, some, some, some will. Um, let's say you have everyone in the room. And you're really uncovering, okay, how to get from A to B and what are all the kind of hidden um, bits, hidden idle times, hidden times something goes through multiple times. Like what else What else can trip us up when we're talking about visualizing how workflows through process mapping, value stream mapping? Like what else, yeah. what else do you the, see as common mistake? I think the next biggest one that actually feeds to that first mistake is really thinking about and defining the bounds of what the system is in your world. So what do you mean by system and getting alignment okay. on that? Because if we would have not, you know, very clearly said, no, we want the full bounds of the system from when someone requests it to when it's actually delivered to them, we would have probably not included the finance people in the world. We would have just said, well, w once we once we start building it, like when an engineer starts working on it to when an engineer is done, if we would have kept the system in our world bound to that or not defined it very well because the, the engineers would have just thought in that world, we would have missed those outside things that our users are experiencing. And then we would have missed to bring finance in. We would have missed to bring in these other organizational leaders. So having a clear kind of sitting down and saying, what are the bounds of our system? What is the start? What is the end? Having that conversation and if needed, saying, okay, well, this is the beginning. There's other things that happen though. And capturing like prerequisites for the start of this system. Okay. Those bounds then allow you to say who is in and out of the conversation and challenge you to say, well, if we make those bounds, we're not talking to finance. And I know finance is involved in this some way. And you say, oh, that's mm -hmm. right. Let's define our bounds a little more broadly because systems can be vague and broad, especially when you talk about people and processes and culture. So really getting clear and having a really robust discussion on what are the bounds of the system we're talking about? Shopping that around, challenging it, 
seeing what that misses, and then maybe expanding those bounds. But having those clear definitions allows you then to go deeper on actually defining what the steps are. If you just say, let's start mapping out the server provisioning process, where do we start? Where are we ending? Right. And right. That, that can be okay, but it, then you're going to miss a lot of the pre-work that you could do. For who's, these. whose job is it to um, ask the questions that result in getting those boundaries? Is it the is it ideally a product person? Is it like who who owns um, uncovering that? It's, on the it's team? A, it definitely depends on the organization. I would argue that it should be the product manager. If we're trying to understand and de- and deliver value as product people, we really need to understand the bounds of the value we're trying to deliver and and really dig in to say, I'm trying to deliver this value. So where am I trying to deliver it and how broad am I trying to go or how narrow am I trying to go? This is not to say that they do it in kind of like a, top-down way, but they should own that. I'm going to have this initial definition. I'm going to go shop it around to my who I think my stakeholders are, who are people that have the historical context on the team, who are just other people, and then I'm going to adjust it accordingly. So I would say a product manager um, who's creating this new system or creating this new value should own this, this process and really think about it, you know, define it very clearly, and then evolve it with feedback from others. And so, you know, I talked to a lot of... Um... CTOs or VPs of engineering that might not have like a like a chief product officer or yeah. a true product peer. And so I think sometimes I see the the technology leaders struggle with this part of the job because they might have a full cross-functional team even with with project managers, with designers, with engineers, yeah. but there really is absent that seat of someone that's accountable for defining the system. And I think that's that's when we get into trouble of people wind up coming up with the question of, I'm not sure I'm building the right thing. I'm not sure I'm really providing the right value to my business, to my users. And I think this is a good kind of call out if folks are, are struggling and they're not quite sure what they're missing. This idea of, of creating a visual system and, and really kind of asking that question like, okay, where are the bounds of this system? even if it's not created by a product person, will probably help frame the outside of, of the, the the problem I'm looking to uncover. Is that a fair statement? Do you agree with that? Do you disagree with that? I, I totally agree with that. I think, okay. uh, and this shows my bias maybe uh, as a product person, but I think when you do have engineers, they're going to define the system from a technical standpoint. And at right. points that can right. be good, but right. I don't think that's where you start. I think you start okay. with this broader system that includes the people, the processes, the tools. And as a subset of that broad system, you might say, how do we drive a technical system to enable this? That is a, I would say that is a, a step later, but we yeah. need to understand this broad, right? We talk about things like design thinking. We think about what are the users experiencing, right? Like what are the users interactions? What are the systems, the other systems interactions? What are the other people experiencing? These are a kind of, why designers can be good at this, but engineers can be good at this. But it's like, how do you kind of bring all of those in? So we're capturing all of these things and then deep dive in to parts of it for system for, for the system that we need to go deeper in. So if we talk about, you know, steps five through six are really kind of where we're talking about some interactions with other technical systems. Maybe we need to deep dive into that and build a technical architecture diagram that is more well-suited for, for an engineer. But that isn't the goal. Right? The technical systems architecture doesn't actually meet your goal. That is an ends, you know, that is, that is a, a means to an end. But if you just build a really good technology system and it's architected really good and you mapped it out visually, 
but oh, we didn't actually think about how people interact with it. We didn't really think about what happens right. downstream. We didn't think about finances involvement. You're building the wrong thing to your point. And, and, or, or you're building something and it doesn't actually see the, the, the value. And so I was, um, part of a team years ago where we had this high functioning, you know, XP technology team, right? We were doing week long sprints. We were pair programming. We were doing test driven development. Everything was going great. We had story estimates and we created this, this, um, very important feature for a client where the client was losing something on the order of magnitude of a million dollars a day because the checkout process was flawed. And we, we thought we had defined the balance of the system. We solved the problem, but because we never really defined correctly the balance of the system and therefore never had the right people in the room to really talk about how, how really, really we never visualized how things went through from end to end the solution to this problem that was costing our client a million dollars a day sat idle in a backlog <laughs> somewhere for I think two months. Yeah. I mean, and all the while um, the engineering team was frustrated because they didn't understand how we had this really high functioning um, team that was doing everything right according to what they knew and what, like, what, like, what did we miss? And I think if we would have used some of what you're talking about today at the start, we would have understood that we didn't have the full visibility into what we were trying to achieve, what, like, what the value to the business was, which was we really actually have to get this into production so that the users of the tool will do what's expected. That, and that's you know the outcome that we were looking for. Right. And so that, I think that's, that's the, the risk, that's the danger in, in, in not taking that time from a product perspective, whether you're the product manager, whether you're the CTO. Um, I feel like, I feel like the moral of this conversation is like, if you see something, say something, right? Like, yeah. Yeah. What happens over here? If someone says, don't exactly. worry about that. Let's, let's, let's worry about it for a minute. Yeah. <laughs> right? Let's. And, and, and sometimes it's okay to define more than you actually need to build. So you can yeah. try to say, I want to yeah. understand like the bounds of the system, I think are here or let's go even broader, but then we can map out more than we need to, but say, but what are the bounds of our ownership of this system? Well, steps one through C three, there's really nothing for us to do. It's good context for us to have. Okay. Steps seven, eight, nine, again, it's good to understand the downstream implications of this, because it will change our work maybe in step two and three, but we don't actually have to build anything. So it's okay to go bigger and then use that visualization to say, okay, so we kind of own here and here, but we need to work with this team and that team. And then what you can actually do a step further, which is kind of another big mistake people make, is they create these kind of value stream maps, these process maps, these system diagrams, whatever tool you want to use. And then it is just an artifact and it just sits there and you built it and you said, I got right. a lot of good learnings right. from it. You yeah. have to say, why do we do this up front? How do we use it to actually enhance our product development? You should immediately do ideation and backlog creation against that systems diagram to say, okay. okay, what do we need to build to make steps five and six happen? And say, oh, well, we need to stand this up. We need to build this functionality. We need to have the ability to save this file. Got it. Keep doing that with the full team. Think about all the work you'd want to do to create this system. Where does it fit on this diagram? 
you'll start to see that populate. And we have, you know, it's, it's basically story mapping where you map ideas from your backlog to the system that you're working on or want to create. Yeah. You'll start to tease out and see where are most of the ideas of work coming and where are they falling on this diagram? And you'll probably say, well, this is probably what we own or mm. this is what we're missing. We have a lot of ideas for step three, a lot of ideas for five, six, and seven. Why do we only have one idea for step two and four? Is that a part of our system that we're not really thinking about deeply enough that users or, or users are going to feel like they're going to feel pain because we don't know what to build there? Do we need to double down on steps two and three to understand what's really going on there and what we need to build? We seem to have a lot of clarity of what we need to build for five, six, and seven. We don't seem to have it for three. What is that telling us? What That's giving us a smell that like we need to go and do some real deep exploration of the work that we need to do there. So you have to use this to align your backlog to it. Otherwise, it's just a diagram that gave you context and it sits on a shelf. Right. right. Okay. So let, let's say, let's say we're, we are avoiding the mistake of, of, of that we've talked about. We have the right people in the room. We're visualizing the, the, and either our boundaries are correct, or it's also okay if they're, they're more broader. And then we understand that we don't really touch step one, but it's good to know what it is. And then we're creating our stories and we're saying, okay, we have lots to do in step number three. We're why is step four seemingly perfect? Maybe we're not thinking about it. <laughs> how do you? How does this actually work? Let's say I'm on a team and I've got I've got my mapping and I've got my stories. Are my stories in the same piece of like like we're not using stickies on a whiteboard? We're using some tool, whether it be Jira or Trello or whatever. Yep. Are we? How are we capturing in our kind of backlog um, how what we're doing the stories? how they map to this, this process. Do we actually like, is each step in the value stream? Is it, is it, um, does it have, like, do we number them? Do we literally say one through seven and then put every story has a one through seven? Like what's the best practice to make sure you're actually like physically tying that back. So when I look, okay, what's my sprint? Do I know I have six things from number one and two things from number two? Like, like how, how does that actually play out for a team? it's a, it's a great question. And I, I generally start with very much like a story mapping structure, which is like there's steps in a process. There's maybe there, there, the steps one through four are part of really this phase one. We name these things. I use that kind of hierarchy of like a phase, a step, and then maybe a, an idea to build off of that, which is a story. Okay. I use that to build the same hierarchy within something like a JIRA, where we have our okay. story and maybe above our stories are what we call features. And those features map directly to step one which is like logging in step one. And that becomes a feature. And what's all the work we need for logging in. Right. And then step two is maybe like going and viewing, uh, you know, viewing your current personalized dashboard. That's feature number two. Maybe both of those features are part of a phase, which we use as an Epic. So you can directly tie the hierarchy that you do in this value stream mapping to basically like epics or features or initiatives within these tools. And then over time, maybe you evolve beyond them, but there should be a one-to-one mapping. Um, I've actually seen this mm. in back in the old days when we used to work in person and we had teams in like a big war room that we used to work together all the time. We actually never even needed to do the translation to an electronic tool. We can't really do that now, but our backlog was our, our value stream map, the ideas underneath it, and people would pull from that board of items on ideas on the value stream app and pull it into our sprint board, which was just to the right of it. And we were chipping away at these items and they were directly mapped to a step in there. So I'm working on step three, 
which we named the step three, the same as the feature. And here's the 10 stories that we had underneath it. Yeah. Once those are all done, we have a minimum viable product for step three. Yeah. And, you know, and, and, and now, now if we zoom out from here, this is, this is yet another example of the importance of um, clearly communicating and using a shared vocabulary. Exactly. Right. Not only on the, okay, we are using the phrase value stream mapping. We are using the phrase process mapping, but once we get inside that, you know, okay, I'm working on this story, this feature, this phase, right? Whatever yeah. terminology, you know, part one, part two, you know, wave one, section three, whatever, whatever exactly. word whatever we it use, makes sense. we want to make sure we're clear on where we fit in. And we always have to have this visual of where we fit into the, the product, the goals, you know, even tying yep. into OKRs at the, at the high level, right? So it really, you want to have this, this thread that makes sense. Um, and I think that's how at the end of the day you get, um, it's funny, like, I don't want to dive down this rabbit hole, but that that's how you really get autonomy. When you have yep. this, this comfort that I know where I fit in the greater good because we're using a shared vocabulary, I can feel comfortable um, in a smaller group saying, okay, I know that we're working on this thing that directly relates to the bigger thing because we have that shared vocabulary. So I can feel comfortable making judgment calls and making um, decisions because I'm not, you know, I'm not confused and I know I'm within the bounds of the system, right? So it's like yep. really important. Without going down a rabbit hole in that, but exactly what you're saying is if you were doing this and you were doing something where you were actually, we didn't, we didn't dig into this part, but like when you're mapping out the system, you are measuring things like time against that. And you're saying, well, right. step three can take between four to six weeks. And everyone goes, oh my God, step three, if we wrote a few scripts and did some automation, that should be 15 minutes. Okay. What are all, now you're enabling people to say, this takes four to six weeks. We want to get it to 15 minutes. Now you're enabling people to say, I have all these ideas of, of work we could do that achieves that goal. That empowers you to be like very like creative and idea like ideas from anyone on the team because now they understand, oh my God, four to six weeks. You said 15 minutes. I could get that down to instantly. How? Right. Oh, let me tell you. And I know exactly where this idea fits. It's not a broad random idea that I want a button in the corner. No, I want this work because I want to make that step faster for our users. I want to improve the system. Right. Yep. And exactly yep. like you said, it empowers you because you have a place to put your ideas and, and know what you're solving. Yeah, no, that's that's a great point. And so I know we're kind of coming up on time now, but I want to get into the, uh, one last thing that you and I talked about before this this episode is is once you have all these pieces in place, kind of the 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 last kind of critical piece to pulling it all together is really making sure you understand the specificity of what to capture because we've been yeah. talking about the workflow, their steps, who's involved, yeah. but then, then it's like, well, how, how much detail do we capture or how little detail do we capture? Because, um, that too, if it's, if it's too, way too much or way too little, you know, it's like, um, you know, having a chocolate chip cookie, you know, if you <laughs> have two, it's okay. But if you have 20, <laughs> not so much. Um, so, so yeah, talk to me about why that's so important and how we get in trouble with with not really paying attention to that. Yeah, this is also part of, it's a great point. This is also part of the prep work of thinking about what are the bounds of the system? Who are the people involved in this system? 
what would be the most valuable to capture? So if you are in the world, which I always think a great starting point is just time, right? Most mm-hmm. products are like trying to become more efficient oftentimes. So it's like, how long does something take? But you want to give people a framework and a tool and a structure and oftentimes just a legend to say, hey, we want to capture the, the, the time in each of these steps. Right. People are going to say, yeah, yeah, but I don't have the data to know that this on average takes 1.3 days. And you say, no, 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 no. We want to do an order of magnitude is a great way to start. Is this an hour? Is this a day? Is this a week? Is this a month? And that's not a perfect order of magnitude, but to say, because what really matters here is I don't care if it's actually one or two or three days. I want to know, is this step a couple days or is it, oh, wow, this step's a couple weeks. So having these and and giving people that ability to put ranges on things and telling them up front, just put Mm -hmm. ranges or just put days because it doesn't matter the details will whatever they're, they're not going to be perfect. And that's not the point. What happens is when you can sum up these values at a higher level, you're going to be, and you can do ranges, right? If you say this step is one to three days, this step is one to three weeks. You're then ultimate values at a higher level can also be a range where you say, wow, like I said, this takes between four to six months, right? I gave you that example. Mm-hmm. It's a pretty big range. It's a 50% increase, but that's right. very different than me telling you it takes four to six weeks, right? Like that's a different conversation. So giving people the ability to, if you're doing something like time to say, don't get bogged down in the details. Don't argue if it's one to two days. The point is that step is days. This step is weeks. So give them, give them the ability to do ranges and give them the ability to say, we're talking about um, orders of magnitude here, not precision. I think, I think ranges is like one of the most underutilized <laughs> techniques. And we all know what it is. And the minute you say it, you're like, oh, of course that's better. Right. And it, it is um, absent from conversation at all levels of the org. In my experience, I've seen it firsthand. Um, okay. How much money are we going to make this month? How much money are we going to spend this month? Well, you don't actually really know how long is this feature going to take? How, you know, how many users are we going to adopt next month? Right. No one really knows. Right. And, and not only is the range a valuable tool, but the, the Delta in the two numbers is so telling because if you said to me, okay, Debbie, how long is this piece going to take? And I say, um, between one and two hours, or I might say, uh, between one hour and two days. Yeah. 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 One bound might be static (laughs) and the other bound. And now, now you're going, wait a second. That's a, there's an order of magnitude within the range that is unusual. Right. Let's dig into that. That's a great thing to dig into. Yeah. Like, why are you telling me that sometimes this thing takes 60 minutes and sometimes it takes two days? Like, that's where you uncover the, that, that variability in order of magnitude within the range of one task. That's that is, where the, that is such like, a good oh, point because <laughs> that's a great point because I think actually I should have even called this out. I'm glad you brought this up. That's where you get the most insights. Well, it depends. Does finance approve it? If finance rejects it, then we have to cycle back and cycle back. That's all within this step. And you go, oh, oh, oh. you're right. thinking about this step differently. Let's break up this step, right? Now we've just made our system, our design, our our our, our visualization more accurate, maybe. Because you say, oh, you're including all of these, these edge cases and things that could happen. Can we break them out separately? I wasn't assuming that. The other right. thing that is very consulting-y term. Uh, so it has some like, but like directionally correct. Is right. this just directionally right. correct? I'm not talking about accuracy. like directionally, right. would you agree that this is days, not weeks? Yeah, but it's not exactly one day. 
Is it directionally correct? Yes. Okay, let's move on. We, you know, the law of diminishing returns. If we are off by one or two, like if this is a, if this is really two days rather than one day, we don't care. If it's actually two weeks rather than one one day, we do care. And I think I think this is when um, uh, experienced question asking is actually really important because if you would say to someone, let's say if you got again, someone from finance in the room, and they weren't used to thinking in this way, right? And if you said, how long does this usually take? Yeah. <laughs> you might get one to two hours. Yeah. If you then followed up with, okay, um, does it ever take longer than two hours? Okay, what's the most it's ever taken? And then, again, the questions elicit the insights, because someone might say, well, one time three years ago, it took six days, but, oh, once a quarter, it takes uh, 20 days. Oh, well, that's because it aligns quarter with the, the, the quarterly close. And so we don't have time, right? Like, if you, So it, it, it comes down to the, we don't, it's not enough to even say, okay, let's agree on the specificity of what we're, we're capturing, but also really have to all own the accountability of asking the right questions, right? Okay, how long does it usually take? Okay, what's the maximum it's ever taken? Why? What did the world yeah. look like in that scenario? And that's, and again, not only on the product person, but on everyone in the room to really look out for those things. Would you agree with that? Yep. And there's, there's, yes, totally. And there's even more specificity, right? We didn't go into the details, but there's, there's the different types of time. There's things like cycle time, versus ah. processing time or sometimes called touch time. How long does it take? It's just a approval. I click a I click a button and it's it's probably I check the email, it's 10 minutes of my time. That's the processing time. That's hands on keyboard. We can capture how long does it normally take? Oh, like how long does it take to the person who maybe requested the approval? Oh, I usually try to get back to them within a week. Ah, so the cycle time is one week. The processing time for you ah. is 15 minutes. Right. So that's another lens. These are all kind of tools within the value stream mapping world that can be helpful to, to articulate. What do you mean by how long does it take? Because those are different values. And similar to what you were saying before, that disconnect is oftentimes extremely insightful. This is five minutes of processing time, a.k.a. my actual work. Yeah. But this is two to three weeks of overall time. Wow. What's that disconnect and how do we improve it? Got That's it. very valuable yeah. too. But these are these are kind of getting into the weeds of like a specific value stream map. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So all right. So to to really kind of zoom out and sum this up, we're really kind of uh ending where we started, right? So yep. visualization of systems is key to really making sure that you are um building efficiently and building correctly, meaning the highest value for your business and for your users. And the the things that we really want to be kind of on the lookout for and holding ourselves accountable for is um, number one, make sure you have the right people in the room. And that doesn't mean everyone has to be doing all the things all the time, but just means, okay, if, if a system touches a person, we need to talk to that person, right? Then once we get the right people, we, we feel pretty good about creating the boundaries. Even if we go a little bit further, that's probably preferred so that we know where we're not touching. And then we have to make this, this, this visualization real. It has to be alive and breathing. And, and we know it's alive when we, we tie it to the work, the stories, the exactly. ethics, the tickets, et cetera. And then really being specific about understanding 
uh, all of the different types of time, which we just scratched the surface of. So that's kind of how I see we're putting it all together. This has been super helpful for me. Even, you know, I've been in agile field for, you know, 20 plus years. You've been in the agile field for 20 plus years. Um, definitely feel like I learned something new here today. Um, any last thoughts that you want uh, folks to take away with any, any like any kind of, um, uh, okay, if you think about these three things, you're going to be in good shape or don't sweat th these three things or like where, where, where are you kind of, where's your head at now that we've had this conversation? No, I, I, I think the main takeaway is the kind of the last point you touched on, which is don't get excited because you built a map and you did it and said, I built a value stream map. No, <laughs> you need to very quickly say, how am I going to use this and tie this back to the work I'm doing to challenge the work every day and make sure it aligns back? That's the biggest, like, that's the biggest way you can use these tools to create, no pun intended, more value for your team, right? Yeah. Visualize the system and tie your work back to it and make sure you're doing that all the time. And then people will say, ah, that was a really valuable session. I'm glad you bring, brought in finance. I'm glad you brought everyone else in. Otherwise, they just say, whatever happened to that session? Oh, uh, the document's somewhere in Confluence or in Google Drive. It's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so make sure you're using these tools to drive and structure your backlog, and then you'll get all the benefits of it and, and the complexity and nuance will start to emerge as you're doing the work and understanding the system. And that's really where you get the, the real value of these tools. Awesome. Well, Rob, this has been so much fun. Thank you for taking time out of your day to share with us and um, hope everyone enjoyed listening and we'll see you next time. Bye guys. Thanks so much, Debbie. All right. Bye. Hey everyone. If you've enjoyed today's episode, remember to subscribe, give it five stars and more importantly, share it with someone that you think will benefit from listening. And remember, as always, think about the one to two key takeaways that you can apply today to help you and your team achieve your goals. Until then, keep iterating.